When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When the kids are asleep, that's when dad has time to play. Welcome to the Geeky Dad After Dark. It's an honor to have you on the show, Mr. Ray Felix. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, that's not much really to say. <laughs> I'm a cartoonist, like probably a lot of guys you interview. Um, I'm an educator. Um, I started doing comic books uh, as long as, like most people when they're younger, when they're kids. Uh, I studied at the School of Visual Arts under um, Carmen Infantino, Howard Post, uh, Denny O'Neill. Uh, I also and, uh, went to SVA. I did. Oh, very cool. Small world. Yes. My uh, my teacher was Carmen, too. Oh, that's cool. We might have been in the same class. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. I think, uh, what year was that? 93. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was... Uh, I was uh, there a little bit later. Maybe okay. Just later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, um, what else? Started a, I started doing like a comic book thing. There was not much of a comic book club in SVA back then. We were trying to get one up, a bunch of the students. And I hung out with some of the seniors that were trying their whole four years there. And they're like, okay, this is your responsibility now. And then I got some people together we put together like a little fanzine we called it a uh, uh, cup of java studios uh nimrod press was another imprint that before bronx heroes was called nimrod press then later on we hit cup of java became cup of java studios so the name of the book took on the name of the company you know people came in and went you know um as most projects go uh, the school wasn't even supportive of it. Surprisingly, even though they had comic book teachers there, I was always being told by professors there that comics isn't art. <laughs> yeah. The school wasn't and supporting a comic book by the students. Now, I had the same feeling. Yeah. 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 Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And after 2000, after I graduated, I think a handful of years later, I was at the MOCA and SVA had a table and their students and they were, they had like this nice graphic novel thing. I'm like, wow, what happened? <laughs> so, so, you know, six years at SVA, I, I couldn't get them to budge. So I had to pull it on my own dime. And the yeah, same thing with the class before that, you know? The only yeah, thing when, I did- uh, When I was there, they had a, 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 a fanzine called Ink Blots. Right. Right. And they They pushed it a little bit more towards the end when I was there. Yeah. Beginning that Yeah, Eisner had one that was called SVA something. I have a copy of it. But that's what he did with his class. He would publish his classes work. But mm-hmm. I never had Eisner as a teacher, even though I met him. Uh, you know, um, 
I chose to car. I'm not gonna even go into that story, but I met Will Eisner. We had a long conversation in the rain. <laughs> it's, it's just like one of his comics, smoking cigarettes uh, with Howard Post, talking about <laughs> old records. I had a, a stack of jukebox jukebox records with me, and I was um, trying to give them to Howard Post to help him, like you know, try to like. Uh, you know, it's like, hey man, recommend me to like some editors if you know anybody <laughs> at Marvel, or whatever. But uh, you know, and then Eisner, you know, he says, oh, you should take Will's class. He's a pretty good teacher. And I was like, oh, I know the spirit. Yeah, but you know, the spirit wasn't that cool back then. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I know the spirit, but you know, the Flash is cooler. <laughs> I'm gonna take Carmine's class. Um, one of the cool things about Carmen Inventino when I went to SVA, it was all of the, the, the cool stories he used to give, you know, mm. his little yeah. rivalry he had with like Stan, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. He was a little bit That's of a curmudgeon, it. you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was very bitter. Stories too? <laughs> I don't remember many of them. I do remember one time he was claiming to have designed the Batmobile and yes, and the, and the oval. Uh, but you know, some people some some people uh, say, well, no, that was Rick ba uh, Rick Barris that designed the car for the TV show. But I don't know if the car looked like that before the TV show and the comics. I don't think it did. I think it had a totally different look, but. But he did, he, I know he probably got some money for the yellow oval because that was his design, the shorter ears. Right. So I know he was really, that's like, the Batman movie was what, 1989, 1990? Right. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, and then the second movie was, I think, The Returns was about to come out then. So yeah, he was really pissed about that. <laughs> he was about that <laughs> We're going way back, you know, way back. So it's a, it's a little rusty. But... But, did yeah. he? Did he ever tell you the story about how uh, when he got the script for the first Superman movie, he basically rewrote the script on a on a weekend in the hotel room? That sounds familiar. That's <laughs> familiar, but that's probably BS. <laughs> <laughs> Mario Puzo, Puzo wrote the the first Superman script. Yeah, he told me that was like crap. <laughs> yeah. And then Donner took it over after that. Yeah. I mean, it's a possibility he was an editor, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, he he did like to put his stamp on everything. You know? I just remember a lot. I used to tease him a lot. I used to play a lot of pranks on my teachers, so. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Um, my first, uh, you know, my first experience in the SBA, I, I started noticing that in kids that were interning there and teachers there everyone was like fishing for ideas and I started to see stuff that I had to stop opening up my mouth because I kept seeing stuff that I would talk about show up in the books right right so so then I just started to start to submit to um you know I got wise towards the end and um I just started submitting you know uh, adult comics to <laughs> he was like this is a comic books what is this <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so like adult stuff, you know, so like more mature uh, comics, not superhero. And he was like, what is this? What am I looking at? So it's like, right. but then I, I had him for two semesters. So by the second semester, he got used to it. Yeah. 
<laughs> he's like, all right, let's see what he, let's see what you got. Bring it up. Let's, what you know, what do you have today? <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, you're you're giving me flashbacks of how he sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, all right, this guy over here. I got, let's go. Like, you know, what? It's a warning, you know. It's like. I do remember the models were like, you know, mostly European and, and one guy had a Prince Albert and we were all screaming when he did, did, did this rope. We were like, ah! By the way, kids, um, don't look up Prince Albert, all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I started, I finally went into, like I had like a lot of different groups that I was in. Like there was a, a friend of mine from the Bronx, uh, uh, he was an assistant teacher uh, and he was doing a fanzine. So I got into the fanzines and he had a mail order fanzine. This is like before the net was a big thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did some art for his fanzine. I stopped working on my cup of job. I worked with him for a few years. We did that till 97. And then I, in 2000, I took just my artwork because I lost touch with all the artists of, of the people that... I worked on the fanzine at SBA because, you know, we just went out, we were all different majors, you know. And I was a, a fine arts major, actually. I switched from cartooning once it became matriculated to fine art. I got duped into that, you know, like <laughs> uh, to become a fine artist. Uh, and that's mostly because I think a lot of the t- comic book artists, the comic book teachers would say, what you're doing is not comic, this is more fine art. And then. Right. When I got into fine art, they would tell me, well, this is not fine art. This is more like comics. As you go back. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, like, the six years I was in SVA, I literally spent, uh, I still took comic book classes and writing courses throughout my entire time there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I literally was like, I didn't know what I was. I, am I a fine artist or, you know, right. <laughs> or a comic book artist? I really wanted to be a comic book artist. So I took the classes that were required for that. So, I, but I spent most of my time in the, the 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 cartooning department more than the fine art department. And the only real reason why I didn't switch back to cartooning was because they didn't let me. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was weird. And then, you know, the the reality of uh, you know I became a father while I was a student there, and the the reality of becoming a comic book artist became not tangible and I needed exactly. money yes. I had a kid. yes so my senior year I switched to education and then I I, I actually actually from the last semester of junior year and then senior year I did like I started doing education and I became a teacher when I graduated so more move you know? yeah <laughs> exactly I wish I did that <laughs> Yeah, it's like I so was, the grass is always greener. I honestly would have preferred to be a cartoonist full yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but at I, least you have something to fall back on. Well, yeah. So that's the thing. I I realized I need money. I had a kid. You know, she was autistic. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just said, well, you know, I'm making. You know, as the longer the years went by, I started making a decent salary. So I was like, I'll start self-publishing my own stuff. Forget it. I don't. I don't need to work for Marvel and DC. I'll do my own company and went from there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the big 
lawsuit. Oh yeah. All right. So that's yeah, fast forward to 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, the whole superhero thing, huh? Yeah. So after over a decade, because I've been trying to get into the industry since I was in high school, uh, I even worked for this company called Jelly Bean that did like separations, color separations for Marvel Comics. So I used to deliver the, the color separation to, from the printer because I was like a messenger there mm-hmm. and talked to people there. It never happened. But after a decade of basically establishing establishing myself doing comic shows, the Bronx Heroes cons, and and uh, you know getting my feet wet in the comic book thing, I got a a cease and uh, desist after I decided to trademark my comic book a world without superheroes, um, which was copyrighted in 1993. So that was part of the their problem is that they were trying to they thought this was like a new project. They thought World Without Superheroes was something new. They didn't know that it was already in print. I've been going to shows for a decade already. Actually, longer than, well, as the publisher. I've been going to shows since I was 14, you know, selling comics and stuff like that. But, um, And then I was, like, literally devastated. Like, I was, like, I lost a lot of friends. Like, even the partners I was with were, like, we don't want to work with you anymore because we're gonna you're going to sour our chances working for DC and Marvel. Wow. Which, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like where loyalties stand, you know, like people right. were like, even I try to get some exposure on it, talking at that comic book conventions and fans were, I mean, like, you know, like their comic book attendees, they would be like, ah, laughing, like, hey, I was like, buy the book that Marvel and PC doesn't want you to read, you know, <laughs> I'll be it soon. Uh, the, because it was a trademark, uh, a trademark issue. I mean, I was approved. The federal government gave me the trademark for World Without Superheroes, and Marvel and DC weren't too happy about that. Wow. Uh, because their trademark is superheroes, not a world without superheroes. Right. And and their argument was that they created the word, and without a lawyer, I was able to prove that they did not create the word superhero. You know, if I had like bucket loads of money, I could have went to the Supreme Court and actually make the the, the, the word superhero uh, public domain. Right. But I didn't have bucket loads of money, you know? So I was like, <laughs> I was in the middle of a, a custody battle with my daughter and, and her mother and, and then and then also like preparing for court for DC and Marvel at the same time. Wow. So four years. <laughs> so back to back. So literally right. holding a full up. But did it help the sales on the book? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Wow. I would have picked people, up the book just for that. <laughs> I mean, people were just like, uh, you're a plague, you know? It was like, it was just like having uh, like um, uh, those uh, those people that have the fingers that fall off. What <laughs> Lepers? Lepers. It was like being a like comic book leper. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I, I, in my opinion, I, you should be someone that should be admired. Because okay, right. <laughs> you, you took on the giant and you didn't even uh, blink, you know? But that, that that notoriety didn't come until 2014 to 2017 when, uh. when the case was over. <laughs> when I was going through it, I didn't have a friend in the world. You know? it's like, <laughs> wow. 
I mean, there were some professionals that were interested in hearing about it. People like to hear like the that that legal defense fund, Compact Legal Defense Fund. They were they want to hear about, but they were like, "Well, this is not, we don't do trademarks. We do freedom of speech." And I was like, "Well." Technically, it is freedom of speech because they own the trademark of the word superhero in every language around the world, and nobody can use it. Right, right. Unless you pay them, you know. Um, so, for four years, I consulted lawyers. I did research. There was uh, a, two or three guys that actually were. I, um, I forgot their name, but I had I had them on my blog. They actually volunteered to help me and did some research, and that was good too. Um, Miguel Guerrera, uh, who was uh, at that point, I believe, living in Paris, uh, he had um, a website called Seven Robots back then, and then he actually is the first one to publish the story about my story about it. It was an indie comic book guy. He does because um, he had a, a combo called um, Superheroes Incorporated, and they sent him a cease and desist, and then he changed the name to Super Incorporated Heroes. Um, but he was surprised that I wasn't changing my name, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I trademarked Bronx Heroes because Bronx Heroes was a book that we were working on, and the lawyers were like, "Well, why don't you just change it to Bronx Heroes and we'll let, let this go?" I said, "Well, no, you guys, I've invested over a hundred thousand dollars into this title, this thing," and I said, "You don't really have a claim. You're coming after the trademark, but this is a copyrighted book, so since 1993." Uh, but then they did try to go after my copyright too, and actually had an insider at the Library of Congress trying to, because I had a copyright amendment in 2007, and they were trying to invalidate it. Wow! wow. But then once I asked the hard questions to that lady, who was just—I've never had the Library of Congress call me ever, <laughs> never ever. And I was like. And I thought that was weird. Like I was literally being harassed, and they were like trying to like, trying to invalidate it by asking me a series of questions and trying to say, "All right, well, you filed this wrong, or it's filed improper." But this is in the beginning when they were just doing internet applications, and right. at that time they weren't, they didn't have a, a section. Now they do, but they didn't have a section where you can. So once I told her, I said, "Look, this is just a renewal because I have new material that I'm adding to it." As in, you can cancel it, but that doesn't cancel my 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 copyright. So I said, this goes back to 1993. I told her I was 19 years old when I copyrighted this title. I had this the script, the art, you know, the original stuff. And she was like, well, I what I can't I can't go back that far. I would have to go into the microfilm. <laughs> And I was like, well, you want me to do it? I live in New York City. You're in Washington. I was like,、uh, who do you really work for? <laughs> I was like, I was like, are you really representing、uh, Marvel in DC, or are you are you representing the Library of Congress? I mean, it was their number. She did work there.、Mm-hmm. She hung up and didn't call back. I never heard from her again. Wow. <laughs> you know,、um, did you ever get contacted by like、uh, documentary filmmakers? Because I would think this would be a fascinating subject. You know, I mean, I've had interviews about it, lots of interviews, but documentary that would be awesome. But no,、uh, I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got、uh, the Daily News. So when Miguel put the story out in Paris, the UK Guardian picked it up and they tagged it along with another、uh, lawsuit that was happening with、um, 
these some marine soldier game or something like that. I forgot what it was called. And they just mentioned my thing quickly. And then the Daily News was interested in my story. And then all these other blogs. And then it picked up momentum. And I was like, oh, good. Now I'm getting some some coverage. But already that the, the case was just about over. Um, right. When, that, when all that started happening. Maybe the age and, of the, the internet wasn't picking up when you had that lawsuit. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that, um, like I said, I proved that the word superhero originated in two places well before DC and Marvel existed as a company, or even mm-hmm. Timely and, and Atlas and Timely and, and uh, National Comics, they didn't exist. So the word superhero was first used in a book called The Airman's Outing, which is about the Red Baron. And they he had they had referred to the Red Baron and as the superheroes of war, like you know, right. you know that no, that was the term. Then there was a silent picture, which was a western. I forgot the title of that. Should be on my blog. And then they also used the word superheroes in that silent picture. They were referring to cowboys. So, so was there? Was there any like compromise, like you you put a dash in between super and hero, or like a space between super? I, I had to put it together. They they have trademark superheroes separate, uh-huh. and with a dash. They didn't trademark superheroes together until I came along. Oh, <laughs> I know. Wow. wow, wow. And it said it wasn't just superheroes I was trademarking. It was a world. It was Cup of Java Studios, a world without superheroes. So technically, they really didn't have an argument or a case. Like I said, if I could afford a lawyer, um, I may have, I would have been able to retain the tr- retain the trademark. But actually, what I got was just as good. Um, I had agreed. We settled. Once I proved that they did not create the word, the lawyers were shocked. They were like, "Whoa!" And actually, a lot of stuff. They started protecting themselves during the lawsuit because I pointed out to the to the judge that. They said I was uh, infringing their copyrights on Spider-Man, Iron Man, Superman, Batman. And I pointed out that none of those comic books, I used over 295 products of DC and Marvel jointly and their comic books that do not advertise the word superhero on it at all. It's only when the, the word is licensed that the word superheroes is used, you know, like right. Ben Cooper or whatever. And that's where that whole lawsuit began was with Ben Cooper and those costumes, you know, mm-hmm. when, he, when he trademarked the word superhero, that's when it started. But their evidence was actually a Ben Cooper tag that just said superheroes in print. That's all they had as evidence as the trademark. I was like, well, this is not even proving in use. Wow. And then they also, you cannot jointly own a, uh, a trademark. So they jointly own it. Right. And that's illegal. Yeah. So no, we always look at Marvel and DC as a two separate companies, but yet they have the same law firm. Exactly. Yeah. And technically, even though they're freelance, they have the same employees. Right. I don't know about now though, with the Disney. Yeah. yeah, but they still swap writers. You see like Mark Wade working for DC, working for Marvel. You'll right. see like Alex Ross working for both of them. Right. They swap they swap staff. Right. It's not like Back in the days of Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee, where you worked for the other side, you were the enemy. Right, right. You know, that doesn't exist anymore, you know, so. 
Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of that going on. But after all um, of this, after all of this, are you still a fan of yeah. Marvel and DC? And look at all the I crap see. I got here. I see, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, he's like, yeah. Um, I, I had to, uh, it was painful as a fan. I felt hurt. Yeah. I, was just, I, I invested a college education. Right. I invested uh, many years to hone my craft as a cartoonist to try to get, that was the dream job, right? Mm-hmm. And it sued, it was really like the final heartbreak. You know, when I was 28, I was just like, well, I'm gonna do my own thing, you know, like back in 2000. I, but that on the back of my brain, I still wanted to work on a project, you know, like work on a Spider-Man or an X-Men or whatever. Right. Uh, but that was the final straw for me. Like, I was just like, you know, I can't say it. Cause, yeah, but, <laughs> but I was just like, forget these guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I still have like a lot of issues with it because I love the characters, you know, I grew up with them and stuff. They're exactly. Yeah. But, Sometimes I look at all this stuff and I'm like, like this is all my graphic novels here on this lower shelf here. And mm-hmm. so I'm just yeah. Like, and I'm just like, it's like my little library, and it's it's I have literally a room committed to comics. I'm like, um, I had to go cold turkey, you know. So I stopped buying comics. Yeah. If I read them, I'll read them online, you know. Or I'll, I'll buy buy the old stuff, the old Kirby stuff, or the old you know, or the Eisner. I mean, that's when I started reading more independent stuff right um, um, but I, I digress uh, so what happened in the end of the lawsuit is that we settled once they proved that they didn't create the word superhero they really didn't have a leg to stand on they were just posturing at that point so um, they offered they weren't offering money <laughs> because it's a trademark lawsuit yeah um, I told them I invested you know you know like two decades of my life getting into this field a college education i'm still paying off my my ba and uh i'm not giving it up unless you give me 100 grand you know and then so he said what else would you like and i was like well okay so money was out of the question so i said i want the protection of my title um from you guys so i want the protections of a trademark from marvel and dc Uh Meaning that if anyone tries to use it, the title, uh, I could actually say, hey, look, I have this contract, Marvel DC. And I actually got a movie stopped because some guy was trying to make a movie called The World Without Superheroes while the case was going on. Wow. <laughs> and raised 10 grand and all this other nonsense. But I got that film stopped. He had to change the name to the film, change the name to th- for the film. Was that movie ever made? It was, it was on Amazon, it was horrible. <laughs> really bad. The first one was called "All Superheroes Must Die." Oh, I think I've I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's bad. And then and then the sequel was something else, and it was just like not good. So, um, anyway, I mean, we became Facebook friends after that. But so basically, I got a contract with Marvel and DC, give me the exclusive right of using a world without superheroes. I mean, I don't have to pay for the usage of the word. They can't stop me from using the word because I have a copyright that's still in, in effect today. So that was so that, that copyright, you know, there's a statute of limitations. You know, they could attack the, the trademark, but the copyright, there's nothing they can do. Right. So 
I still own the copyright to the world without superheroes. And uh, I relinquished the trademark in exchange for a contract. And and also the contract bars them from using the term a world without superheroes. They could use a world without Superman or planning to use the title called the world without Spider-Man at one point because that was in the in the clause, but that, I never seen that. DC was going to put out a book called the world without superheroes because they actually created an earth which they call the world without superheroes but not on the cover. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. Time. That's where Superboy is from. Right, right, right. Um, so, so, but now they call it a world without flesh and blood superheroes. Wow, it's <laughs> a mouthful. <laughs> Sorry, and they even did a book parroting parroting my book. Yeah, you know. So there's, there's some slight a slight parody where they, you know, and then the New Fifty Two was actually, you know. I wasn't reading their stuff at the time and during the lawsuit. So when the new 52 had launched during this lawsuit, they had actually some one artist from Green Lantern turned my my mystery man character uh, into they made Green Lantern into a hobo with a with a with a trench coat and long hair. Put him in outer space. It's like wow, wow. And they even like ripped like uh, it was like two or three panels from my book. They just put it right directly in their book, and uh, I pointed that out. And they haven't stopped the nonsense. They now they're they they, they got the punchline. Yes, you know, I was gonna bring, I was gonna bring up punchline. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then Are they you and suing then they for that go. too. Well, they let it go. Um, okay. I sent a cease and desist. There's no punchline title right now. There's a joke. No. Book. Yeah. A punchline in the backstory. They could use punchline in the inside of the book, but uh-huh. so that they that they. Um, they uh, backed off because I told them, hey, here are the facts about this character. This was a script that I wrote for DC Comics. If you read uh-huh. that Joker War story, if you read the Joker War story and you read when they killed Batman in 2009, both of those combined are my script from 2005. They kind of uh-huh. just broke it up. And if you read the premise of the three Jokers where Joker can replicate himself, which they never really explained how he was able to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, that's all from my script. Wow. So, again, I don't have a million bucks to go up against Marvel and DC. They can bury you. But I sent them cease and desist. I sent them evidence. Uh, they interviewed certain people. Uh-huh. Uh, Denny O'Neill died after oh. Oh, two, two weeks after. So it's like <laughs> he was a party to this this uh, punchline thing being swapped. Uh even though you know Tinny and the Fourth said that he had nothing to do with the project, but you know this is a script that's been floating around and people have been ripping it off, you know, uh-huh. piecemeal. You know, so, but he's the person I gave it to, and I, he's the one I personally handed it to. Oh, um, okay. Back in 2005, um, and and uh, I knew it was going to get ripped off. I knew it was a risk, but I was like, hey, we're both educators, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe maybe I could trust them now, you know. Right, right. I didn't have them, you know. Uh, so whatever, it is the past, you know. You know, all 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 sins are forgiven in death. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, forgive them. Uh, you know, I don't hold any grudges, but it, it is infuriating to to constantly 
have ideas and not just Denny, but other editors in Vertigo and, and that I've submitted work to and, and, and have stuff stolen time and time again. Mm-hmm. And see your work in print and not getting credit for it. You know, like my roommate that used to live here in my house and we lived in the Bronx together for a short time. Uh, stole the Red Hulk from me. That's still very painful wow. every time I see the Red Hulk. Uh, you know, uh, so that really ticks me off. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, so that I really hate Marvel and DC as a company. <laughs> but you still love the characters. I still love the characters, but it, it's hard to differentiate. But it's like, I know, I know. Uh, it's like splitting hairs. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. You know, but they're making it easier because the movies are getting pretty bad now. They're not, they're not as good as these. <laughs> <laughs> so making it easier, but uh, you know, like I, I really feel that being a comic book uh, collector, I was addicted. I was a, 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 it was a serious addiction. Yes. You know, it's a recording yes. addiction because it wasn't even about reading them anymore. It was more like just the habit of collecting that ritual. Yes. It was like, it was like every a Wednesday. Yeah. Every Wednesday, get the books, read it, put it in the bag with the board, put it in the box, yeah. and yeah. the vault, and never see it again. You know, it's like. <laughs> but is this a tradition that you you um gave your kids? No. <laughs> no way. I don't want them to fall into that. No. Uh, at first I was he had a subscription to Marvel uh, he was getting Star Wars and all that stuff but he, he liked Iron Man as baby now he doesn't care about it you know he's more into like you know Roblox <laughs> and I'm happy um, with that yeah that's good <laughs> you know um, I don't I wouldn't want to wish this on my worst enemy and I wouldn't want to pass the torch either he's not really interested in drawing comics he has done some digital storyboard you know like with roblox telling stories which it, it is right. like a comic book but using the roblox thing right um you know there's influences there which you know i'm very proud of him you know he has his own uh youtube channel and stuff and he has more views than me so <laughs> <laughs> you can plug so, it. What is it what is it what's the channel name uh, it keeps changing it. I think it was. I think the last one was Indigo. It used to be Indigo Panda Gaming. Then it became Indigo YT. I think now it's just Indigo Films. I think so. Wow. It keeps changing. Okay. It keeps, yeah, so you know, when you're young, you just keep changing your. But yeah, I think it's Indigo Films now. That's what it is. But yeah, he's good. <laughs> hey, everybody, go check that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. Yeah, but the punchline thing, uh, the funny story is I woke up one morning and someone texted to me. They're like, look, uh, look what's going on. Uh, look what's being sent. And then at my first reaction was like, I just woke up cursing. I literally felt like I was about to have a stroke. Like, because I was literally just, uh, you know, I had published the, the, the punchline character in the Bronx Heroes coloring book in 2012. And she appeared in like, two pages uh, in a world without superheroes annual back long time ago but i never gave her own feature but it really hurt me because i was actually i don't know if it's synchronicity or like energy or what it was about how that their thing debuted while i was actually bringing out i already had like a few issues with punch on that i was working on secretly and i was not posting it anywhere because i was like this is a great idea yeah so i was like so I, I was like literally making new books, but when they announced it, 
thank God the pandemic happened. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. And and Diamond stopped moving their books. And that gave me the opportunity to say, look, I got a body of work here. I have this stuff. It's already sitting here. I wanted to put it out in full color and it's full regalia of a comic book. I think a comic book uh -huh. full color. I was like, there's no way I could, I could win. I, there's no way I could beat these guys. So I was like, the most I can do is just mess with them. So I just went to the trademark uh, website, the USPTO, and checked, well, let's see if they, they trademark punchline. So there's like 500 punchline trademarks, but for different things, you know? Nothing from DC. Right. So what did I do? I was like, if I register punchline, they could say, we're gonna take you to court, like, like like uh like superheroes like the world without superheroes thing right right and i and i didn't really want to go into another four-year court battle with them i don't have the, the mental energy for that so i was like you know what i have to come up with another title because originally she was a villain she was a joker villain she was never joker's girlfriend if anything she was the the assassin that kills harley quinn and basically takes over the Joker regime, and 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 she basically it was a new Joker that rose, killed the Joker, uh, which was uh, Stephanie, who was the female Robin, because it was an Elseworlds script. So uh -huh. it took place in the year 2020, and Stephanie, wh who was Robin at that time, I think in 2005, I had wrote her in the script because she was the current Robin back then. Uh -huh. um, and then basically she becomes the new Joker you know okay and then, and then punchline is a sidekick to harley quinn but when the new joker comes in she decides we're going to kill off all these old, old batman villains and we're going to take over gotham so yeah. it introduced a, a whole new and if you read my punchline book you see all the new villains that dc never got you know right, it's like, right. you know uh and what's funny is that if you look at their punchline story with a Batman, it's the same thing. This punchline character comes in, tries to kill Harley Quinn. She doesn't try to kill the Joker because they make her the Joker's girlfriend, which I thought was silly. Uh, Joker loses an eye. My script, Joker lost an eye. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Alfred was killed in the beginning of my script. Uh, Tom King had Alfred killed. And I remember when that happened, I was like, whoa, are they doing it again? I was like, no, maybe I'm being paranoid. Because <laughs> his story wasn't anything like it, you know? But the way, he, when they decided to kill Alfred, I was like, that was like the beginning of my story. And then this new writer comes in. But they introduced all these new villains and, the, and they changed Gotham. And so DC basically missed out. They could have had that back in 2005 if they hired me. <laughs> For an Ellis World story, they would have had the whole kit and caboodle. They would have owned Punchline, and 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 I'm glad they didn't because now the character's mine. I made her a detective. I made her a good guy. Mm -hmm. But I still tell the same script story. Of originally, when I was revamping this, the issues that I had was like a new story. I wasn't going back to that old script. I was just using the character, and then I just realized it's like, why am I trying to remake the wheel? Uh, they're stealing these scripts that I wrote for them. Why don't I just use a script? So then I said, screw it. I'm going to just do that. And so instead of Batman and Robin, I have the dragon and the sparrow, you know? <laughs> and then I found out that they actually used the Batman design that I did for for some Earth Batman. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> pointed it out to me like this was used. 
Uh, and then the costume I designed for that Robin, they actually used for Damien. Oh, know? yes. I can see the similarity, yeah. You know, so that was like, <laughs> so I was just like, yeah. And then like I had um, the Tim Drake character, I had called them uh, the Red Raven, which was a callback to Jack Kirby's Red Raven. Right. And then they made him Red Robin, like the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and then they changed him to Drake. And they changed him to Drake. No, it's funny. That, that whole part, too, is that like my old roommate here was trying to get work for DC. And I know that he was just like, I have, there's a, there's a group of characters. I always told him that um, part of the proposal of, of that 2005 script was that all the Robins would get together, right? So you had all the Robins, mm -hmm. and they would be almost like a Dutchman or like a G-Force. Oh, okay. I think they're doing they're, it now. Yeah, they're doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the proposal, too. So it was more like like oh, like wow. like the Gotcha Man, right? Like you know, uh -huh. the Gotcha Man. They were all G one, G two, G three, G four. Robin one, Robin two, Robin three, Robin four. You know. Yeah. I think they're calling it the Robins with an S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so they, again, here they are. They're still using stuff from that 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 proposal because it was an eight issue proposal. You mm -hmm. know, so it was a lot of, and it was very detailed. Like I went into each issue. You know, there was like one full script of the first issue, and then a plot synopsis of how all the characters developed. I mean, there was another one where Barbara Gordon was. Uh, connected to the web, and they made named her Oracle. You know, and and was uh, this was this before Oracle? Uh, Oracle existed, but she wasn't a she wasn't a computer. Okay. They actually had they actually had Oracle existed. I didn't create Oracle, but I had put it where she was almost like Barbara Gordon ends up being almost like the Matrix, where she can go okay. into the and then right. they actually did that in the story. Yes, they actually, I know recently, they, yeah. And, and it had like computer, uh, like binary stuff on her arms and stuff. And so, because in my story, Barbara, it was the year 2020, so they're all old. So Barbara Gordon was like a, you know, like a regular woman gets older. Right, she gets right. out of shape, you know. She's not athletic. She's in a wheelchair. Right. You know, the reality of a person in a wheelchair is that their lower body deteriorates. Yes. So she became more of a cybernetic type of character. Like transplanting right. her consciousness into this computer, um, or she would fight crime, you know. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff from that proposal. Even the first Batman video game, uh, the Batman in armor was very similar uh, to right. some of the bat designs I did. Um, Batman was never really, aside from Dark Knight Returns, where he had that junk, giant, clunky. Right, Iron Man, Mach One armor. Um, they never had him in slick armor, and I had designed that again like back then. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, they the, and and they also had um, Dick Grayson had a callback to the 1938 Batman. I had done the same thing, so it's like you know, but you know, at, back in 2009, I didn't even bother to to sue them, or I wasn't in that mind yet because this is a year before. Took me to court, 
Mm -hmm. So I kind of, whenever they stole something from me from a submission, I just let it go. I was like, well, it's their character. They could do whatever. Same thing with the Red Hulk. Oh, I just had a story for the Hulk turning red. They, they didn't steal the story. They just stole the concept. So I didn't even bother, you know? Um, I was crushed because it was my friend that I lived with that screwed me over for, you know, for 30 pieces of silver, you know? So cause, uh, he didn't get his name on He didn't get credit for it. He's an uncredited contributor. Uh, so, um, but every time we hung out and then we came across a toy, Right. Like a, an awkward silence. Now they're, I hear for the She-Hulk show, they're planning to make Bruce Banner into the Red Hulk. And yeah. then the comic will make Bruce Banner the Red Hulk now. I think he's been in an animated series too. Yeah, so I mean, because they had it as General Ross at first, but my script was that it was Bruce Banner. Right. It was more like a, like Dragon Ball. When I got the idea, it was about Dragon Ball when Dragon Ball turns into that monkey mm -hmm. and he's at his highest level. I was thinking, well, Hulk should be like Dragon Ball, that he has different stages, and each stage he transforms into something else. So, right, right. You know, so beyond the Grey Hulk, beyond, you know, from the 90s, like literally you would have multiple incarnations of Hulk at different levels, but I should shut mm -hmm. up because they're gonna, you'll see that come out now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let me just stop talking. <laughs> you should just just do these uh, comics before they they decide to do it. You know. Well, what, and so I took the concept of uh, my Red Hulk Hulk story, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it to like you know like the the Buddhist and and and, and Hindu uh, um, the Buddhist and, the Buddhist and Hindu uh, um, uh, Pathion, you know, which is also something that I gave to DC back in the day as a, as, and they, to Vertigo, and they end up using it in multiple titles. Um, so I was like, okay, so I'm gonna have this guy, and so I'm taking the concepts of the the the, the Red Hulk that I wanted, and, and and actually introducing, you know, the the this Pathion of, of the Hindus and and the Buddhists, uh, Mahakali, you know, yeah, yeah, and and and, and telling the story that way, yeah. you know. So that's what I started doing. I call him Red Rage, you know. So it's like, uh, so there he's you go. The Bronx, and he's considered the Bronx villain. So it's Bronx villains. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though he's a hero, you know, as Hulk is really a hero, but he's right. seen as a villain in his yeah. comic. So, so in Bronx villains, he's they consider him the bad guy, but he's just a he's a misunderstood god. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, know um, since COVID happened. Uh, you guys haven't done the Bronx Heroes Comic Con. Yeah, I mean, what happened was Bronx Heroes Comic Con, uh, we basically turned it, I, I had turned my focus to um, women in comics. So we started doing Women in Comics Con. Uh, and then I was actually going to do one after the pandemic, after the reopening, but some other stuff happened with that. So I'm not going to even go into that, but <laughs> I don't want to shine a light on anybody. but. So basically, the, the essentially what happened is that we kind of split, you know. Um, I'll, I'll go into it a little bit. The One of the people that I did the shows with uh, decided to do a, a story for DC Comics called Lois Lane in a World Without Superheroes. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was for this heavy metal event that was happening. And she posted it all over Facebook and stuff. 
And then I was like, at first I didn't even hear about it. People were calling me, whoa, what's going on? What, what's she doing? I thought you guys were friends. I thought you guys were cool. What's going on? And, I, and then I found out, then she actually, I called her, asked her what was going on. She's like, oh, it's an homage. Me and the artist said that we're, you know, we're going to surprise you. Um, I was like, what is it an homage to me? Is it, what, is it about the lawsuit? What is this story about? You know, it's like, I said, if it's not about me, it's not an homage. You're just outright stealing my name and, and thrusting me back in court with Marvel in DC. So I called the artist. The artist told me they didn't know what the heck she was talking about. Like, this was news to them. They didn't really know the history behind, I don't know how she couldn't, like everybody who knows me knows my lawsuit story, but said, no, I had nothing to do with it. So I was like, okay. And then she changed her story and then went on Twitter and said that I was uh, trademarking women in comics and trying to steal from women, that I'm a gaslighter and all this other nonsense. So I was like, wait a second, this all started because you stole my my, my script from, <laughs> stole the title of my book. I said, you're a writer, right? You got published by Marvel and now you're getting hired by DC. So uh, you're, if you're a writer, can't you come up with your own title? Why do you have to use my title for my book? You know, that's, so I basically just broke things off trademarked the women in comics copyrighted the women in comics uh show and i'm going it's gonna it's you know and certain members are basically going to help continue that organization without that individual uh and they're 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 kind of like trying to force my hand to take them to court and they're like actually haven't stopped using it and <clears throat> they put in a counter trademark yeah. So they're ready, they want to go to war with me, but honestly, I'm just like, uh, you don't call a, you don't have to, you don't tell a dog that the dog is a dog, right? You know, the dog right. should, so it's like, it's like, it barks, it's a dog, right? So right, people right. barking, it's just like, will I be bothered with this? I'm just going to ignore it. So yeah. but anyway, I spoke, as I have a relationship with the DC and Marvel lawyers, I called them and then the old law firm said that DC had a new law firm representing them in California. So between the artist talking to the letterer and me talking to uh, the lawyer in California, we actually got the book off the presses, changed the title. So um, that the book came out, but they changed it. It was no longer Lois Lane in the world without superheroes. So what was it called? I think something really corny like all superheroes must die or some nonsense some nonsense like that or some something no more superheroes that's what they called it no more superheroes oh. so it was yeah. a it was a lois lane cutting off they made a, like like a an evil lois lane that kills superman and then she has to fight multiple versions of herself it's just dumb it's like it's like <laughs> You know, like Lois Lane has an armor and she kills Superman. Like what? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is corny. I don't even read. I don't even read mainstream comics anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's not even worth it. So I was like, I was like, this is. So the funny thing about the punchline thing is that even though they, they based on what I showed them, emails, um. They were like, okay, we're not going to take you to court. Well, let's have a mutual agreement. I said, like, well, you guys really need to pay me. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. Um, for the script, they said, we're not going to pursue you. We could both use punchline. And I was like, no, you can't. Um, 
as well technically there's other titles called punchline which i learned about through this article i, I don't know if you saw the cb i think it was cbr right which is yeah it was either cbr or another one of those blog things so apparently dc has a direct link to this guy because he's from london and all this was going this whole conversation was going between myself and dc through emails and suddenly this person in london had the all the information about <laughs> wow. what was going on and uh -huh. puts it up on front street uh -huh. so and then i found out there was a, a antarctic press book called punchline from 2008 and there was a book called Tap Dance Killer from 2012, I think, uh, that had a character named Punchline. And then, um, so I was like, I contacted them. And I was like, hey, <laughs> let's get together and sue Marvel. <laughs> I was a sue DC. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Punchline guy from Antarctic Press wasn't, you know he was friendly but he wasn't like no i'm not interested in that i think he had his own thing like he wanted to he consulted a lawyer i don't know if he went pursued it or not um and the other guy um what's his name oh, hold on um, i have one of his books over here sorry just uh well, i had one i think i brought it up upstairs now but he actually uh he actually he and i actually uh, have become fast friends. <laughs> he has a really good book. I was just reading. They had a Kickstarter one called Bloom, which was really good. And uh, and the Punchline Killer. I I bought that book when I saw him at New York Comic Con this past Comic Con, and I bought his book there. So um, yeah. So I was just like, yeah, you know, whenever you want, you know, we should go against these guys. And and so they were saying, well, the lawyers we spoke to said because there's multiple characters named punchline that they it's not really a strong case or what have you um i think that the guy from antarctic press wanted me to stop my book like he was willing i think he was more interested in suing me than suing dc <laughs> monolith right and i told him well your book came out in 2018 and my very first published comic book of a world without superheroes which was part of that lawsuit punchlines in one of the issues uh -huh. you know and then she's also on bronx heroes again in 2012 so um let's be friends <laughs> it's like you're not gonna win <laughs> you know i predate you by six years you know right you know <laughs> it's like well, eight years if you think about the first one so yeah so you know um so i'm doing it DC is not bothering me. They're saying go ahead and do whatever. Um, there is no lawsuit trying to get money from them based on the character at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I've just been kind of like watching. You know, this is what I do. I'm like the, I just watch and keep watching what they print and publish and put out. Right. And I take note. Like the signal, mm -hmm. they ripped off the Black Power. Um, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, when the signal came out in, in Batman All-Stars, I sent them a cease and desist and made them change the costume. Yes, the it signal. does look like your character, yeah. yeah. Different color. Different color. And and actually, when he first came out, we had posters of him in yellow. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I sent them that, and we gave those out free at New York Comic Con back in 2012. So, uh, wow. so um, 
that was <laughs> and there were editors in DC that came to the booth were taking photographs of it and I, I, I think after all this time that they rip you off they'd actually hire you for something right <laughs> right right and what's funny is that Black Power and Punchline all come out of that same series A World Without Superheroes it's like so it's like they're literally trying to and then you know now they have their world without superheroes which they don't put on the cover but it's earth 2 yeah you know, not earth two, earth prime earth prime so earth, earth prime so uh so you know if i had a million dollars i i i'd blow it and take them to court until they're you know <laughs> till one of us drop but uh you probably might need them more than a million <laughs> right exactly because uh and the four, the reason why the case was four years is because every time we, it was an internet court, trademark court was on, on internet, it's not in person, uh, but um, they were never prepared, like right. most lawyers. They were just thinking that I would be scared and eventually drop it, which never happened. What, what happened was I had a, a finite amount of uh, money and I was like, well, I'm reaching the head of this case with my daughter's custody battle, and then I have DC. Am I going to use this money to fight DC? Mm -hmm. Which I probably won't win, or would get a fighting chance with fighting for custody for my daughter. So I went with the kid. So did, <laughs> you know? did, did you win that custody? No, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> but um, I, I what I won was visitation. Uh -huh. I, I won that for four years um, until her 18th birthday and then and then she, you know she's an adult at that point uh, and then custody I did not get but you know it was like you know her mother was just the, the whole reason why that happened was because her mother was keeping her out of school and that really annoyed me uh -huh. you know so she my daughter was truant and she was going to private school and they were going to kick her out and I was just like, you're not getting her kicked out of private school. <laughs> it yeah. was the mother's, not the daughter's, you know. Right, right. That's a whole another story. But anyway, so that's 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 where I'm at. You know, it's a, it seems like I'm in an endless court battle. You know, I think there's like some karma. I was supposed to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Because <laughs> I'm actually currently in the middle of a lawsuit right now. <laughs> right, right. Like I said, I think you're a real interesting guy. I mean. Yeah. A documentary about your life that would be really interesting i thought yeah <laughs> i'm always in court over something though you know like right now i'm waiting oh, you should <laughs> i write down everything and write an autobiography about your life i started i started to i started to um i actually submitted a, a, a piece of it to this publisher uh, and they liked it but um I decided not to have any deals with them because um, during the pandemic, they claimed that our the, the, the Bronx Heroes and Trumpland book was a loss, that they didn't make any money. But then I cited to them, I said, well, there's this article that you were interviewed where you said you made 400 times the amount of, uh, you know, sales than mm -hmm. you had the previous year in the first four months of COVID. Mm -hmm. But then on Facebook, they claimed that Amazon had returned all their books and that Barnes and Nobles returned all their books and they took pictures of it on their Facebook page showing that, so to claim a loss, basically saying that, but then you contradict yourself and then, you know, in May of 2020, you, you, you do an interview saying that you made the most money you did, you know, 400% over your sales. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to bother taking you to court for $10,000, but 
And right here, I just just article alone proves you're lying. Right, right. <laughs> all publishers, so all publishers cannot be trusted. Yeah, they can't be trusted. No. And, and, and they were an, uh, an affirmative action, uh, LGBTQ, uh, uh, political comic book company. So they print mostly political comics or like, uh, right, or like uh, you know, like um, LGBTQ narratives, and 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 it just goes to show you, it doesn't matter how cool they sound, uh, <laughs> they're just publishing companies at the end of the day, <laughs> and they're gonna rip you off. So it's like. <laughs> always uh, was, self-publish yeah that was arsenal pulp press so in canada so they're pretty big out there so they're like the dark horse comics i guess of canada but okay you know but um yeah i'm actually i would have made more money if it had i just uh self-published it and ended the shows you know right right like I, so i i don't think that i thought that my answer would be for the next 10 years is to get publishing companies to license my products so I could have a wider distribution, a wider net. But now after that experience, being sold and, you know, internationally and still not getting paid, mm -hmm. that, you know, aside yeah. from your, you know, your, your uh, initial fee, um, right. you know, the advance, aside from the advance. Um, so I threatened to take those guys to court. <laughs> <laughs> And they, because they wanted to break the contract, and I was like, "Well, you're in a binding contract for five years. You can't break it. U.S. ten grand." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I gonna go to Canada, hire a lawyer to fight them? No, I'm not gonna do that. You know, I'm right. I'm wiser and older now, so I'm just like, yeah. So I was like, just give us, uh, you know, well, my partner Tom Siaka. He was like, just give us the books and we'll call it a day. And I was like, no, just yeah. give us the money. Just give us the money. <laughs> so out of the three of us, you know. Tom would have been outvoted, but Tom is the one that introduced us to them. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to fight them. Whatever you want, we'll do. So Tom says, give us the books. They said, okay, pay us $586 and we'll send you all the books and we bring the contract. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. I said, wow. I'll tell you what, either you send us those books for free or I'm going to file on Monday morning an injunction here in New York City and make you spend $10,000 by hiring a New York City lawyer. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's I drag it out of five years. That's a, very smart. <laughs> I said, I'll make you spend fifty thousand dollars in court. <laughs> it's like so they shipped all the books to us and they stabbed a bunch of the boxes. <laughs> oh wow, they did? Oh man. <laughs> How petty <laughs> is that? So my response to them stabbing the boxes was taking photographs of all the boxes and all the books that were damaged. It was over 110 books that were damaged. They sent us 2,095 books. Our broken contract agreement was 2,700. So I said, well, based on the fact that you didn't give us the number you requested, and based on the fact that you sent us damaged books, uh, our contract is still binding. You owe us ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that money yet? <laughs> Probably never so, will. Sometimes you just gotta stick it to them. And I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. you're a brave dude. <laughs> 
sometimes you got to be fearless you know that's what yes. superheroes teach us right yeah yeah i find it interesting because super, a lot of guys that read superhero comic books aren't very heroic right but they love the heroes and i don't know when i was a kid i wanted to be the hero we exercised we worked out we right we trained we had martial arts classes i wanted to be batman you know and i yeah and i did everything in my power to be a batman daredevil amalgamation you know of, uh you yeah know, it's like yeah you know so what, what what was the first comic book that you picked up when you were a kid uh the very very first one um I would say there's a few instances. My dad was in the military when he was alive. He went to Germany for um, a number of years. And when I was a kid, he came back with a bunch of Carmine Infantino flashes. Oh, yeah. And Muhammad Ali used to have a comic book. I don't know if you remember that. Um, mm -hmm. I can't find it anywhere, but he had a Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> from Hanna-Barbera. And then it was a comic book adaption of that cartoon. Okay. And he, he brought it like stacks tied in this, you know, this burlap string, you know, like this tweed right. string. Right. I don't remember what age I was, but we had a bunch of comic books. And, and the very first comics I remember reading and remembering was um, Peter Parker's The Spectacular Spider-Man, because I had two older cousins that were teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, big family gap age gap for my family so so my I was a kid in elementary school and then my direct cousins were already about to graduate high school so it was kind of weird so but they were introducing Spider-Man to me and I remember him the cloak and dagger books right uh, reading those uh, Sin Eater uh, which was one of the yeah. best comic yeah. book stories ever told of Spider-Man um, and then my very first book that I actually spent with my own money was actually Detective. I forgot. I think it was like 289. I forget. It was when Alan Davis. It was a detective run. Alan Davis had the Scarecrow on the cover with Jason Todd as Robin. Oh, okay. Yes, I think I remember that one. It was Alan Davis and Paul Nearly. That was the first Batman that I started to buy. Now, mm -hmm. I had Batman Family, Superman Family as a kid. Right. When I started collecting as a collector, you know, right, right. Um, like there used to be a Jewish guy who had a milk crate walking around screaming comics in my neighborhood when we were kids <laughs> <laughs> and selling us comics for like 10 cents and 20 cents, you know, when I was in middle school and right. stuff. So. And we bought from that guy. We used to call him the king of comics. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't know, you know, we didn't know that Jack Kirby was called the king of comics. Just yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, <laughs> uh, and I worked at a comic book store in the Bronx when I was 15, so. Right. Yeah, so comic books has been in my life pretty much throughout my entire childhood, you know? Do you think it's weird that um, Marvel never had any main superheroes from the Bronx? Well, I remember that Nova originally went to Roosevelt High School in the Bronx and then they changed it and made him from Queens afterwards. Right, right. But they never called him a Bronx hero. <laughs> no, no. Was that the reason why you created a Bronx hero or just? No, Bronx heroes came about in a very funny way. Um, originally, 
I had my adult line of comic books called Cup of Java Studio, which I was already already well established in the conventions. Uh, but um, I, I teamed up with these two guys, and they wanted to do like a more like a general audience type of book. So it Bronx Heroes literally came out of a conversation with a bunch of guys. Was throwing, I was like, well, let's call it BX Comics, and they were like, no, we'll call it. Uh, different names got swapped around, you know. And then, and then my buddy Mike, who was living here at the time, was uh, not living with me at the time, but was living here. His last living residence was here, and he's like, uh, "Why don't you call it Bronx Heroes?" <laughs> and he just, and we were like, "Yeah, it sounds good." And then, so it was literally two companies. It was Creative One Comics, and Mike was from my camp, so technically Bronx Heroes was ours since we came up with the name. Right. So it was, and 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 Lou Gonzalez. Uh, so from my camp came the Bronx Heroes name, and then these two companies would kind of join and started doing stories together. But it didn't last, you know. We, and we started doing the shows. So I was using my fine art connections to get art shows, and it was an art gallery show of indie comic book creators in the Bronx and and some places elsewhere. And then um, and then we uh. And then it turned into a comic book convention. The, the show was so successful, they were like, you guys said you wanted to do a comic convention? Yeah, let's do it. And they gave us literally like a weekend to do it, you know? So, oh, all so the that's where it started. Okay. Right. Yeah, so all, all the artists that were participating in the show that did comics, it was a fine art and comic book show. It was a combination of both, so. Everyone that was doing comics said, oh, "Let's all right, let's do this show." And then other people recommended others. We met Mass Media Studios and all these other guys from the shows, from the Big Apple. Right. And, you know, started doing a show. You know, and then yeah, that's how that all started. You know, so, but it all started through fine art. So I was able to marry my fine art skills with my comic book skills. <laughs> Something paid off. <laughs> Eventually, even though I don't do fine art anymore, but you know, it's like. <laughs> So uh, you don't plan on ever doing another Bronx Heroes convention? No, we actually have one scheduled for this March, but with COVID going on, I really yeah. don't know. So I would say no now because they gave us the green light for the space, but with all the restrictions and everything, I, I don't know. You know, it's just like I actually have to call them up and and, and see if they're still willing to rent us the space because it's a library, you know. Okay. And they, they, it's like we have. Um, I, at some point, I want to do a, a a college campus or something. Um, it's really about just networking with people in the Bronx, which is really hard because of COVID. Now, you know, it's just yeah. like it's yeah. it's a game changer. You know, like people are throwing shows at malls and stuff like that. I'm not really a fan of mall shows, even though. I was one of the first people to do a mall show, <laughs> but I was never really a fan of it, you know? Right. Um, because people don't go to malls to just go to comic book conventions. They go there to, to browse and not to right. really even, you know? Yeah. Malls are desert, you know? Yeah. Malls <laughs> like, are dying out right now. They're like the blockbuster video, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> you getting turned into like uh, apartment complexes now. Right. So, I mean, I think that I would, you know, really would love to do things with the libraries and the parks again, or even rent out a college space. I was talking to BronxNet um, 
about uh, using a space. They were up for that, but then that fell through again because of COVID. The Boogie Down Grind, which is a coffee shop for the South Bronx. We did some art stuff together during COVID, which was outdoors. We did outdoor right. art shows. And that was really good because it was outdoors. But when winter came, it was freezing. You know, the summer yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and then they wanted they had a new space that they were going to use, but then that fell through. So um, it's yeah, COVID is really killing it right now. It's killing yeah. it. So, yeah. You know, we want to do women in comics, uh, and we want to do Bronx heroes. You know, but it's it's a strange time. Yeah, I mean. Um... Bronx should probably be considered the birthplace of uh, superheroes, shouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Batman was created there. That's correct. That's right. Joel Finger with Bob Kane. You had Will Eisner with the Spirit. Right. You had Earl Payson with Green Lantern. Who you know, and you know, and the Justice Society of America. He did all, all the covers. Uh, I mean, you had Stan Lee, right? Who? Yeah kind of wrote comics <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I, I don't know if Stan was in Brooklyn what's that wasn't Stan in Brooklyn no Stanley grew up on the Bronx but he a lot of these early Jews denied being from the Bronx that's the problem <laughs> they were they you know they talk about being ashamed of comic book being comic book artists and writers when they were young mm-hmm. they were even more ashamed of being from the Bronx so <laughs> it's like um it's only because the Bronx is cool now that they are willing to say they're from the Bronx. Right. In fact, right. Stanley never admitted he was from the Bronx until Larry Lieber, his brother, uh-huh. said in a documentary that they were born in the Bronx. Okay. All right. And that's when he finally admitted it and said, well, I hated that place. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah we should start a petition uh, make Bronx the capital of uh, superheroes well I was trying to talk to the historical society about putting a, a Batman museum in there but who am I they, they, you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> because I did a, a few pop-up Batman shows with Eisner and stuff like that and then um, the guy who did the looking for Bill got the sign up there you know uh, you know, Bill Finger has a sign. Now they have a Stan Lee yeah. sign. Um, I know that the Eisner family wanted me to work with uh, the guy with the signs to try to get a sign up for Will Eisner, which I should do at some point. <laughs> try to reopen that door again and see if that that happens. If we can get that to go. Because um, all these guys went to Clinton High School, you know. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, they all went to the same high school, you know. Even Tom Siaka, you know, who worked for DC and Marvel, was from the Bronx, uh, but he went to um, that Catholic school. Uh, so why do you think Bronx created so much, like icons? Well, um, um, a friend of mine from Ireland, who was um, he studies he's he studies Hinduism because uh, I used to do like Hinduism meditation and use. Um, he said that uh, the Bronx is the Vashuti of the world, mm-hmm. so it's like the kind of like the voice of the world, right? You know where all the inspiration and creativity comes from. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was interesting because you think of hip hop, you think of salsa, you think of jazz, you think of you know lots of things that came out of the Bronx, you know? Yeah. 
you know, not just actors and comics, but so many great things, you know? Yeah. Breakdancing, graffiti, and, and all these things are like an international impact. Hip hop. Yes. It's like, yes, yes. Um, so he's right. It is diversity of the world. It is the voice of the world. We're speaking. We're, we're we're speaking for the earth in some in some in some fashion. Not that other parts of the world are not speaking for the world, but for some reason it, it has this magnetic attraction where it gets right. big. And, you know. mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, when I first read as a teenager that Bill Finger and Bob Kane lived in the Bronx, my first reaction was. Oh, they grew up on the Grand Concourse near Poe Park. Yeah, I need to live on the Grand Concourse. I need to, I need to tap into that energy. And I heard they they created it in in the park uh, nearby. In the park, Poe Park. Yeah, yeah. they were in Poe Park. Yeah. yeah. So I moved to that neighborhood. So put a statue in that park or something. I've been saying that for years. They should have a statue of Batman and and for Edgar Allan Poe. You know. Um, I know they, they had put a, a Captain America statue in Brooklyn. I know. <laughs> it was temporary. <laughs> but technically, it should have been the Lower East Side because Captain America was created by Jack Kirby, who lived on the Lower East Side. Well, I mean, maybe because the character was in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. But I think they put him in Brooklyn after Kirby. After Kirby oh, stopped. Working. Okay. I don't think he was originally from Brooklyn. I think... They asked whatever writer was living in Brooklyn established him in Brooklyn. <laughs> but Kirby was Lower East Side all the way, you know? <laughs> and right. most of his characters, whenever they were from New York, were Lower East Side. Like, right. you talk about Ben Grimm from Yancey Street, which is not a real street, but it was basically <laughs> the Lower East Side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> like... Yeah, whatever. Whoever was writing him, I don't remember who the first writer was. I said he was from Brooklyn, but it wasn't Kirby. I don't remember reading any Kirby that says that Captain America's from Brooklyn. But it was after Kirby. It might have been Steranko or whoever. I think it was in the. I think it was in the seventies when he was like when Steve Rogers was a, a like a cartoonist working in Brooklyn. Or right. That. right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's funny, but. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, well, I met Stan Lee one time uh-huh. at the New York Comic Con, and he was walking by our booth, and he looked up. He was like, "Bronx heroes." <laughs> and he was like, "Gee, I didn't know there were heroes in the Bronx." <laughs> you should have said, "Did you make any heroes in the Bronx, Stan?" <laughs> I said, "I told him, I said, Stan, what are you talking about? You're from the Bronx, right?" He started laughing. I was like, <laughs> bodyguards carted him away when I try to reach out to shake his hand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was quite fond of Queens for some re- reason, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Queens is like the Bronx with less crime. That's <laughs> <laughs> the houses yeah. look the same. The funny story is, I, I had a, a, a function in the Bronx. And uh, I invited some friends from Brooklyn to go there. And they told me, I ain't going to the Bronx. That place is like uh, crime ridden. That's what people were telling me when I did the show. And I was just like, that was a long time ago. You're, yeah. you're thinking 20 years ago. And then I had a function now, in Brooklyn, right? And right? people from the Bronx, and they told me, I'm not going in Brooklyn. That place is crime ridden. 
Right, exactly. Because that, <laughs> and that's the truth. That nowadays you have more crime in Brooklyn than the Bronx. You know, before COVID, anyway. I mean, I almost, I've never been robbed in the Bronx. I've had attempts, but I've never been robbed. Right. When right. I, as an adult working in Brooklyn as as an educator, and I was working at a probation. I was working for a prison, a juvenile prison. Some guy wow. came up to me and tried to rob me on the street. Wow. <laughs> well, gentrification has taken over Brooklyn right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like that was right at where gentrification was. That was that was Fort Greene right there. Oh <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, that was right in Metro Tech City. This guy just came up to me and just uh, tried. He basically. Is, said hey how's it going and I, I was wearing a tie which i never usually do I was right a, right it was in the summer the guy had laundry like he had his dry cleaning he was well dressed and he says hey man how's it going and he just comes up i was like hey how's it going and then he came in for a hug i was like i, I, I the closer he got I was like i don't know this guy <laughs> right like, right right i thought he was like an employee like one of the one of the workers that i worked with like one of the guards or something like that uh-huh. and then he bear hugged me. I was like, I remember you. You remember me? And I was like, Rikers? Because I used to work in Rikers. I was like, oh, wow. I, was like, I worked at so many different prisons. I was like, uh, no. And then we started fighting on the street. Wow. <laughs> uh, just like that? Just like that. I was able to overpower him and he was a bigger guy. You know, he was, I could tell he was a jailbird because he was like built like Schwarzenegger, you know? Like, wow. <laughs> But in my younger years, I was very quick in my hands and feet. So that's <laughs> <But> good. <laughs> yeah, so I got a lot of tussles, you know. Like Jack Kirby, you know. Jack Kirby was a fighter. I I see myself as a fighter. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You never met Jack, though, right? I know that when he was alive, when I was a teenager, there were shows that I came to in New York, and. That, that he was at, but I never, I never went up to meet him. I was just too intimidated. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't, never meet your hero because when you meet them, they end up stealing your work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know I, mean? yeah so, I, I met Danny O'Neill uh, in, in SVA. He uh, he was teaching writing. Yeah, that's when I met him too. Yeah. So you took his class. Yeah. Did he talk? Did he talk? Did he talk more than teach? Because he he's did talk about Charlie Chan a whole lot. Going to Charlie Chan yeah. movies, his wife yeah. And... yeah. <laughs> uh, as a student, I wasn't one of his favorites because I, I called him on his BS. Like I had to tell him one time, I paid six hundred and fifty dollars for this class. Are you going to actually teach me something? Oh, wow. <laughs> He didn't like that. And everyone gave me dirty looks. Like all these fanboys, like, how could you say that? Yeah. I said, talking about, I said, I got you twice a week. And all you talk about is your wife, what you ate for dinner, where you went out for like, it's a two hour class. And then you give us 20 minutes of whatever you wrote down in your notebook. Right, right. And I was like, you know, I'm broke. You know, <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe maybe you 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 put some sense in him into him because my, his class was way less like that when I took it. Yeah, 
I used to gripe. I used to gripe a lot, and then I started getting on him. Like he would contradict. He would say, he had these these axioms that didn't make sense. Like he was like, never write a story that lasts more than six issues. Uh, just don't keep a thread going. Like, and I was like, well, what about uh, Iron Man drunk? Didn't you write that? Didn't they go on for like over a year? And then he got quiet. <laughs> <laughs> And he used to say, um, artists aren't writers, which used to piss off a lot of the artists because he had right. older, I took continuing education classes, uh -huh. which was like when SBA did night school. So I took, right. I did like, I was like a night school junkie. Like I finished high school and night school. Like, uh -huh. I just, <laughs> so it was naturally, I went to college, you know, I worked in the day and went to school at night. And so he had a lot of adults in the class, you know? Right. Right. that were just straight up writers that were taking his course that wanted to get into comic books some guys were in television some guys were in like different fields some guys were just starting off and then you had the, the artist kids and the room was literally divided like the writer sat on the, the left and then the artist sat on the right <laughs> yeah and we were sketching and drawing and he'd get annoyed if you're sketching and drawing in his class and it's like we're well, talking about what you had for dinner mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like uh, and then uh <laughs> You know, I used to always ball bust them, but then uh, he got offended. I wore this shirt about, I, you know, when Jason Todd died, uh, he was the editor. He didn't write that story, but um, I, I worked in a comic book store and I wore a t-shirt because remember, it was a phone call thing. Right, right. All the fans that didn't even read Batman, they were like Marvel guys, were making all the phone calls to kill Robin. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So when Robin died, I painted that issue three cover of Mike Mignola's Robin uh, with acrylic paint on the shirt. And then, and I was like, because you killed him, like really red, red like bloody dripping letters. Yeah. And I wrote, I wore that for the, for the people who made the phone calls. I killed them and they would laugh when I wore that shirt. Like you jerks, you killed Jason Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like Jason Todd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I wore it to class one time and he took it as a personal, like, thing like oh oh like they're like why'd you do that why'd you make that shirt for because you killed it. I was like what are you talking about this is a f and no robin shirts existed at this time so exactly yeah i made my own handmade dc shirts that they didn't have so i had my own red shirt with a robin logo on it mm -hmm, and, you know mm -hmm. hand painted i used to hand paint shirts and jeans and stuff like that Mm -hmm. But he took it personal, and I was like, oh, this is not about you. This is about the comic book store where I worked at, told him the story. And I go, like, oh, or, you know, this is kind of offensive, because I made a comment about Jason Todd, like, <laughs> why'd you kill him? And I even told him how he would should come back as a clone, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I even designed a Jason Todd character in a red outfit with a red helmet. Uh-oh. Still, still have that artwork. <laughs> I still have that artwork. I'm not saying that he had anything to do with it, but I'm just saying that mm -hmm. it was drawn by me and I actually mailed it to DC when I was working in the King and the King of a futuristic Batman. Mm -hmm. Looked very similar to Batman Beyond. Wow. <laughs> with a futuristic Robin who was a clone and they were basically, uh, Joker was so dangerous that they shot him into space and he was on a space prison. And then right. he escaped. So they actually went into space to try to apprehend the Joker. And Jason Todd, this clone, decides to kill, decides to kill uh, the Joker. And, and, and he's 
basically remembers everything. He says, I'm going to get my revenge. And, and his mission was to kill the Joker and go up against against Batman. Mm. <laughs> I still own those pages to this day, you know? Wow. Because I, I mean, I, I basically swiped a bunch of panels of Jim Lee's Punisher and drew him as the Batman. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, what am I, a psychic or something like that? Like, like, I mean, specifically Jim Lee's X-Men. I was using Jim Lee's X-Men panels to, to tell this Batman story. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, uh... <laughs> so, You're yeah. an amazing guy, man, let me tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are you getting uh, for the future? What, what plans for, like, comics are you going to be doing? Uh, right now, um... As we speak, I was lettering all day um, Punchline Volume 2 because I have Volumes 1 through 4 came out during the pandemic. Uh, are those going to be self-published or? Uh... These are self-published. Um, I'm going to do a Kickstarter for it. I actually published these and didn't do a Kickstarter. I should have. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to, for the Volume 2, I'm going to offer Volume 1 first. I also redid um, um, a trade paperback of uh, Bronx Heroes. Um, so I'm going to be working on the roach again because, you know, the roach is, um, was in hiatus for a while because it was under another artist. We were waiting for him to finish it up. He finally did. Um, we got another issue of Brother Lone Star coming out where I team up Edgar Allan Poe with Brother Lone Star. So there's a crossover. Right. Uh, and so that's like during their time period. Mm -hmm. um, that's like a, a, a two-part crossover between the Raven pros, uh, 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 Poe is the Raven and Brother Lone Star um, and then there is another um, it's a bunch of uh, Trevor Von Eden and myself worked on Black Power number 5 mm -hmm. Greatest Hero Black Power so that's another Bronx Heroes title so he actually worked on number 5 in half of 6 with the first story in 6 I'm going to do the second story um, Red Rage number 2 I showed you the Red Rage first one uh, yeah that's gonna. That's already drawn, and then punchline and the other Bronx heroes are crossing over. So I'm doing a lot of crossovers now right. of my integrating and, and interwoving my universes. They were all separate before, but now they're all colliding. Okay. And uh, you know, so that's I've been doing that. And a world without superheroes. I literally have 12 issues of a world without superheroes that have not seen the light of day. Wow. <laughs> so, Did you and, uh, illustrate? that or yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay during the pandemic during the pandemic i worked on 11 individual full fully drawn and inked comics wow wow so i did i was the most productive and uh, so i have a total of 21 books uh because i had books that were before the pandemic that were not finished uh that i need to color um that's one good thing that came out from the pandemic, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So now I just got to focus, though. It's focusing. That's why I'm trying to avoid all these distractions of lawsuits and all this stuff. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't try to sue anybody for a while. Yeah. Well, next Friday, I have a, a case with... A, oh, no. This, uh, with, with, on behalf of my mom, I'm helping her out with this case over here. Uh, this is another crazy story, but... I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird. It's a weird karma, you know. It's like I have this, this, this. Um, when I was younger, I had car karma where I was at car trouble, uh -huh. and these crazy stories about automobiles. Now I have legal karma. <laughs> so you probably like, have more. You probably been in court more than a lawyer now. 
honestly, my very first court case as an adult was a car accident where a woman crashed into me and then actually was pleading like she was the victim. Wow. <laughs> and even produced photos at the court of a car that wasn't the car that was in the accident. We mm. found out that she took acting classes at Purpose College and her father owned a, <laughs> a used car dealership. So that was my very first case. There's not comic book related. And then after, right. ever since then, there's been some court case <laughs> ever since. <laughs> she started it. <laughs> she started it. That was in the 90s. I'm, I'm never, Matt's never stopped, you know? You jinxed you for life. <laughs> for real, for real. I'm always in court for something. But honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, uh, scare me. I get I get very excited sometimes. I get more excited about the court cases than companies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you're going to leave a legacy for that. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, maybe I should uh, before. All right, you go. Good night. Uh, my mom was just watching Perry Mason. It's like <laughs> she, she turned me on to Perry Mason. We were watching Perry Mason a lot. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, before getting into comic books when I was 14, my uncle was always telling me I should be a lawyer because I like to argue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And now my son wants to study law. So I was like, go ahead, do it. Maybe <laughs> even politics. Yeah, maybe politics, yeah. You know. Run for uh, uh, something in Bronx. Yeah, yeah, something local, yeah, I think so. I think so. Comics is dwindling on me now because the market's changing. Everything's about the films. Um, there is some stuff happening in the indies, but uh, I'm like the guy who would be like almost famous. Like I had a, um, a few movie appearances. Um, I was on an episode of Comic Book Men. It never aired. Yeah. Uh, I was interviewed. I went through like three rounds, uh, like last right before COVID for a, a, a reality show that I was supposed to host. That didn't ha happen. I, I don't even know what happened. It just disappeared. COVID really messed everything up. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that I had in the works that's not related to comic books, that um, which is more film-based, that just right. didn't happen. But um, like um, Mayor of Town, which is an HBO show. Right. There was a scene that was on the cutting room floor with my books in the background that didn't happen mm -hmm. uh, they shot it but it just wasn't in the season uh then there was watchmen there was also a, a, the, the pilot of watchmen originally was supposed to start in a comic book store right not a movie there. Uh, -huh. uh but the whole black cowboy thing came out of brother lone star because they had my books on set <laughs> wow. okay they even wanted me, they even wanted me to they want to hire me to draw a comic book uh, for one of the episodes, but they didn't want to pay me. And I was like, I don't work for free. I'm sorry. They were like, well, it's for credit. And I was like, no, you're HBO. You, you pay craft services. You should pay me. Yeah. HBO <laughs> and Warner Brothers, too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Wow, I can't so believe they're that cheap. <laughs> yeah, they're that cheap. Yeah, they expected me to work for free. I was like, no, I'm sorry. They bought books. They, they 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 used my posters and stuff, but that was that that scene was never aired. Uh, they ended up changing the scene later on to a girl in a video store. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, you know, that happens though, you know. But I got to work on Watchmen at least. I got to do some consulting, you know, with them and stuff, and that was fun. Unpaid, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. They bought books. They bought books for the, you know, so they go in on the website, bought the books, whatever, but I'm still didn't get the credit though. Still didn't I would rather get the credit, yeah. I wouldn't get the credit if I drew for free for them, but I was like, no, I'm not drawing four comic books for you. No, I'm not doing no. <laughs> and then if it didn't and then if it got cut on the cutting room floor, then if it didn't even show, I'd be even more mad. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, no. <laughs> or he could have just like um done the comic and then published it afterwards. If you get the key. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Could have done that. But then no. technically it would be their property because they, they make you sign these these death contracts where they oh. own everything. <laughs> they get you, right? <laughs> yeah, there was also uh, I, I was in uh, not me personally, but the books were in Ted Two, the movie Ted Two. Oh, okay. The Comic Con scene, right? Yeah, the combo. It starts off. If you got the DVD, it's like there's a nice crane shot of the Bronx Heroes booth. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. with, with this mock, uh, with this mock Comic Con that they shot in California, and mm-hmm. then, uh, and then you have um, there was another film, uh, a TV show called Collision Course that had some of my artwork from when I was a teenager. They didn't want to pay me either, so. <laughs> so how how, how how do these production companies? actually find your work like do they are they fans of your work do they you know seek you out do they actually i get phone calls yeah it's weird i get i don't have an agent i represent myself but it's like um if i had an agent i'd get more paying gigs but uh so i just told them well i'm not gonna draw for free they said well do you have any old art that can you make like a psychotic thing and i was like well look at these so i went through some old sketchbooks when i was in my early 20s and i was a depressing artist i said scanned them and I said what do you think about these actually it wasn't even a scan I took photos on my phone and it was actually pretty impressed how able how clear it was on the TV show mm-hmm. so I, it was a, a serial killer not serial it was serial well girl that a murderer's sketchbook okay, <laughs> okay. that was cool but I was like okay well these are drawings I did when I was a kid, you know, you can have them, <laughs> it's like, right. but if you want me to draw anything new, oh, you got to pay me, you know, so, right. so that was one, uh, I got credit for that, that was credited, I've, I've done stuff for the cooking channel, I was credited for that, but the, the whole thing is, if you have an agent representing you, which I don't, then you get more work, that's what it really comes down to, right, right, but I'm a full-time teacher, so, you know, with benefits, so, you know, you could, your artists, even if you're paid, you're paid very well, but you don't have benefits and you have to pay your own taxes. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you end up, when that's all said and done, you're not really making that much. It looks exactly. like a big because you're not getting taxed. You have to pay your taxes. <laughs> it's a different story. Yeah. Well, you see, so artists, you, you took the, the high road. Yeah, you took the high road, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and paying for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I know Anthony Bourdain. Day. He did a uh, episode on the Bronx. Surprised he didn't ask you to do like a. You know what's you know what's messed up about that? My friend is the one that hooked that up. A friend of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he was the one that was taking Bourdain around in the Bronx. Uh-huh. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, but it's cooking. It's not my forte. But I would have been. It would have been nice to meet him. <laughs> I was like, right, I was like, right. 
But he was talking in, in that episode, he was talking about graffiti. He was talking about a lot of stuff besides food. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They take them to White Castles. I was like, why are you taking White Castles? <laughs> Worst place to eat, you know. And then he went to the Coochie Fritos, which was good. Actually, I used to eat at that spot there. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, uh, it's a nice grease spoon, you know? It's like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of it's weird, you know? So... Like I said, I'll probably be the almost famous guy. Like, ah, oh, this guy, he could have been. He's a bit of shit I want Yeah, it's like, I could have been a contender, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have been a lawyer and forget about comics, you know? It's like. <laughs> yeah, an art, art, artistic lawyer. Artistic, yeah, or like an entertainment lawyer or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean. Dude, it's not too late. Go take the exam. <laughs> It's a major investment, you know. <laughs> yeah, just like teachers without jobs, you have lawyers without jobs these days, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing I forgot to mention. Now, the, the latest world without superheroes. Um, Oh wow! This is a, it's a reprint. It's with the cover by Erwin Hasen. Erwin Hasen, like I said, he went to Clinton High School. He did Dondi and uh, yeah, he drew all the um, JSA covers, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, like all yeah. in the Golden Age. Yeah. So he he did this sketch for me when he was alive. We were trying to get together um, when when he was alive. Trying, I was trying to get him to do an issue of War Without Superheroes. Um, but it never happened because you know he had doctor's appointments. He was already in his nineties, you know. It's like oh wow, wow, wow. Okay. But we did. I ended up doing a tribute to him, you know, with him. Like he was, and and he was in. Um, I met him at Big Apple Con, and then he came to the uh-huh. Bronx Hero Show. It's the second Bronx Hero Show. He, he was our honored guest, and we did a whole retrospective on him. And wow, so that was really wow, cool. that's really cool. Yeah, he's been gone maybe six or seven years maybe more than that i don't mm-hmm. know time flies by quick but he was a really funny guy yeah and taught me a lot of life lessons and he was burned by the big two he created wildcat with bill finger and you know oh wow yeah 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 you know it's like um and he did the very first marvel hero the very first marvel superhero in the golden age was not captain america it was a it was a detective called the ferret oh i didn't even know that wow yeah, and he had a ferret on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> it was a guy in a brown suit, and he was the first superhero, superhero type of guy, you know? Wow. Oh. Fighting criminals and stuff like that, you know? Before the spirit, I guess. Yeah, probably before the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Well, you won't see them adapting that at <laughs> Disney. <laughs> They, they actually brought him back in some comic book in the 2000s, uh, but just for like an issue, just probably renewing the copyright or something. Right, like right, right, right. That's what they were doing. I mean, it was uh, it was great to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you. We got to have you on the show again sometime. When, when, the, when the new issue's out, we'll have you back on. All right, sounds great. It's going to hit the printer maybe like in a few weeks. So cool, cool. Just finished lettering. Where, where, where can people pick up these books on Amazon? 
No, on my website, but my website's down now because Square had a merger with Weebly, so I gotta find out how to get it back. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but you can our, Google Bronx Girls and you can find it on Instagram. You can reach me on Instagram. I'm going to start selling stuff on Instagram and start selling things on okay. like Facebook and stuff. So you don't uh, want to sell so it on Amazon or anything like that? No, you can find the Bronx Girls on Trumpland on Amazon, but that's not going to me. That's going to those uh, jerks that we cut ties with. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I wouldn't buy it there. But I mean, unless you want to read it, you can buy it there. But the book I don't stabbers. Get yeah, that's the book stabbers, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're also working on a Biden book, which is a sequel to the Trump book. So. Oh, wow. Okay. But you, so we started that. You're doing it with them, be. though. What's that? You're not going to be doing it with that company. You're going to do it separate, right? No. What we're going to do is, we're going to do it our own. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it ourselves. Cool. So, cool. you know, we made fun of Trump. Now it's time to get Biden to get his uh, turn. <laughs> Equal opportunity. <laughs> Equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I look forward to that one. Let's. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like it. I, I'm already on page six. So, so Tom and I are writing short stories, and it's going to be 150 pages. So we're it's slow going, but I'm, I'm walking it back from the beginning when he made his uh, surprise appearance at the Democratic uh, National Convention. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we're doing like a like a historic. It's gonna be comical. It's not gonna rhyme like the Trump one. The rhyming was too hard, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I I needed to have a wordsmith with me, like a rapper. Oh, so okay. Word, you know. Make sure but, uh, make sure you you finish that book before Biden croaks because he's pretty old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. You take care. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Appreciate that.